Tell your story, build your brand. ArtMediaNorthwest.com. A-R-T-M-E-D-I-A-N-W.com. Now enjoy this conversation with Ron and Maddie Hurst. All right, we're here with Ron and Maddie Hurst today. Ron is the drummer from Steppenwolf. Maddie is a singer. And uh, you play other instruments too, right, Maddie? Yes, I do. Yeah. Who is your current band? Um, Audio Spectrum. All right. So how long have you been playing with Audio Spectrum? Um, For about eight months now. Eight months. Excellent. And who are the members? Uh, Josh Mason on guitar, Jules Mason on bass, and Levi Goings on drums. Awesome. All right. Ron, how long have you been playing with Steppenwolf? Uh, 34 years and counting. Wow. That's amazing. 35, yeah. Yeah. Maddie, you grew up immersed in music. Mm Mm-hmm. What was it like growing up with a rock star dad? Oh, wow. Uh, Growing up, watching him perform as a little girl, um, that really sparked me a lot. And um, that's really what got me into music. Watching him was very inspiring. And um, I decided to try it out and loved it. Awesome. Can you describe, like, being at the show? you know seeing it was magical yeah it was it was incredible you know you know that's my dad on stage you know? it was it was great a proud moment right yes very proud moment so ron what was it like having maddie at your shows and kind of being part of that experience oh it was a it was a real trip yeah. i have to say that i mean all the years where you're out there and playing and then knowing that your daughter is starting to embrace what you're doing. It's sort of a musical version of Star Trek Next Generation. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> so it was one of those things. I love that. But she was always hardwired with it. Yeah. She was never shy with never shy at all around the stage or being on it. And uh it was one of those things that she embraced on her own. Yeah. And she was always comfortable about it. Once again I never pushed her, I would never push her. But I'm just watching her go with it, and we do have fun, and I will steer her. Yeah, you are going in the right direction. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's great. So, Ron, I know your music talent goes beyond the scope of Steppenwolf songs, which are amazing, and seeing you guys play live, like, you know, on YouTube, seeing videos of, like, how you guys would jam and everything, I mean, just, it's, it's pretty incredible. You have a lot of musicianship and a lot of diversity there, too. Um, so you also teach. Um, can you talk a little bit about both playing with Steppenwolf and with teaching? Sure. I teach currently, actually, for the last 16 years when I moved out here, about '03. I teach. I have a studio in Mirror Music in yeah. downtown Hillsboro, and I've always enjoyed and embraced teaching. I always liked it very much. Back in about 1970, now I'm dating myself, back in Massachusetts, when we were starting to get our bands together and making some noise, I started teaching a little bit, basically to supplement my income. Yeah. Because we were the starving textbook, starving musicians trying to make a go of it. We had the band house. We learned to cook hamburger helper six (laughs) different ways. You know, yeah. we had the beanbag furniture with the cinder block shelves, you know. <laughs> so um, all trying to supplement our income, of course. And I started teaching. And uh, surprisingly enough, I loved it. I enjoyed it very, very much. 
it felt very, very rewarding to me as I morphed into it, where you get these young students who will come in and not even sure which end of the stick to hold. <laughs> and all of a sudden you're seeing their progress and they're throwing down and they're laying it down. So um, it was very, very, and still is to this day, very, very rewarding. Yeah, definitely. And uh, it's nice. And now at this time or stage of my life, it's time to pass the baton forward, so <laughs> to speak. I've had a beautiful career. I've had a great run for many years, over 50 years, 34 accounting with Steppenwolf, which we call the mothership. Yeah. <laughs> but that aside, there's been other bands, other artists. And uh, now it's just time to sit back. It's Maddie's turn. And I'm enjoying, and it's it's all the young students and coming up, and it's their turn as well. Sure. All the young students coming in. Yeah. And uh, I love it. I get I get a real uh, reward out of that and seeing their progress. Mm-hmm. So I teach for the love of teaching and for the love of the art itself. Definitely. Well, I think that that shows. You know, I know some of your students and they really enjoy the lessons with you as well. So. Well, thank that's, you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I think that your reach goes farther than than you may realize. You know, I think that's really cool. Well, thank you for that. Definitely. And Maddie, you play other instruments as well. So you sing. Yes. You play bass and drums. Is that right? Yes. And I also play guitar and a little ukulele and keyboard. All right. So you play guitar, ukulele, keyboard, bass, drums. Yes. So next to singing, what's your top uh, Um, instrument? I would say bass. Bass. Nice. And then guitar. Okay. Uh, then drums. Nice. And keyboard and ukulele are kind of both in there. Sure. So. Yeah. Do you play other instruments with your band currently? Um, I play rhythm guitar. Yes. Rhythm guitar. Cool. Electric or acoustic? Electric. Nice. All right. And then, so Ron, you told us about your work with Mirror Music. Um, Maddie, you do lessons there as well, or you did at one point, right? Yes. All right. Wonderful. And then is Joe your teacher currently? Um, he was, yes. He was. Okay. Yeah. You learned drums from your dad or from someone else? Uh, from my father, yeah. From your father. Yeah, why else? <laughs> why would you go anywhere else, right? So I think, uh, Ron, you were telling me that Maddie had asked to learn, like, some James Brown drum stuff at one point in time. Oh, yeah. 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 So uh. It's like, I love that kind of stuff because it's just, uh, you can go really deep into that. <laughs> so, uh fantastic well she's she started going after it herself a lot of my format of course when you teach you want to start off with the fundamentals give them a base foundation which are rudimentals yeah stick control you know establishing your four-way coordination and a lot of times to do that i'll immediately jump into the rock mode Mm -hmm. simple rock not only because i made a living at it but because it's more or less an easier approach to develop their their skills yeah And when you start, you know, you work their tempo, work their coordination, basic rock beats. And as that they progress, you start getting a little more syncopated. And of course, I teach all genres and styles. I'll teach jazz, Afro-Cuban, Latin, reggae. I mean, pick one. Right. But that aside, when we start moving along, moving up a little bit from the rock stuff, we'll start getting a little more syncopated. So I'll start throwing in the funk, Mm -hmm. you know. And uh, Maddie just embraced it. She just went after the drum stuff, which (laughs) I love. So she wanted to learn 
some of the James Brown grooves, yeah. which, uh, surprisingly enough, she first heard it when we were at a Mickey Dolan's oh, wow. uh, concert down around McMinnville at the college down there. And uh, he had a band backing him up, and he was singing. And, of course, we're no strangers with Mickey, you know. Right. Maddie's met him and done duets with him, but that, you know, you could go into that in a while. But that aside, staying focused... Um, one of the songs, he had this real funky James Brown groove. And we were sitting there, and I remember the defining moment. She said, Dad, you got to teach me that. <laughs> I home and, okay, so it went from there. Yeah. Then she started getting into the funk. Yeah. So we move on from that. You know. That's so cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, one thing that I've noticed working with a lot of musicians over the years is that singers who can play another instrument or multiple other instruments usually can sing in a more profound way. You know, they, they find a groove. They're not tied to the beat. They can play a little ahead of the beat, a little behind the beat, all that kind of stuff. So I think that really helps give her a great foundation. It does. She can do that stuff. So that's it cool. Uh, Maddie, can you tell us about Camp Amp? Well, um, Camp Amp has really helped me grow and improve and I feel very fortunate to have worked with them and been a part of that and still working with them to this day, you know. And um, they have helped me so, so much, you know, and meet new people. I would not be in the band that I'm in right now if it wasn't for Camp Amp. Yeah. And I've met a lot of musicians that I clicked with. And um, I met my vocal coach, as a matter of fact, Linda Anderson. I could not be more thankful for her because you know she her and I just click yeah and um she's really helped me improve so much and the camp has really helped me improve and I just I love it I love it so much awesome well you're a great part of it so I'm glad that you're returning again yes and Ron and Maddie so there's the stereotypical rock star you know the drummer and the front person the singer and all that stuff and uh I've seen you both be very respectful, you know, kind, considerate people like uh, and that doesn't fit the the musician rock star stereotype. You know, you're not, Mm -hmm. you know, showing this sort of arrogance and different things that we see in the movies (laughs) with the stereotypical (laughs) rock stars. So uh, how how do you manage that? How do you manage being a, a good human and having some different, you know, degrees of success with music. Well, my mother, I started very, very young. I've been drumming all my life, yeah. really. Literally. I started, I was legitimized joining the school band in the fourth grade in 1958. <laughs> so okay. Okay. you can do the math there. <laughs> and um, it was one of those things that uh, I was legitimized where I'd play in the school orchestra. So I played PTA meetings, school assemblies. That's where I first went on the stage and they showed you how to hold the sticks with a traditional grip. Right. And they taught you how to read eighth notes and quarter notes. Okay. And so that's that was sort of my debut, I would say. But prior to that, there wasn't a cookie tin or a button box that was safe in my house. <laughs> I ran a tat tat yeah, on everything. Yeah. <laughs> Based on that, my mother oversaw that and she always told me, I don't know where your musical journey is going to bring you. But I do know this. Be nice to everybody because you're going to meet them twice. And I remembered saying twice, and she said, yeah, the first time's on the way up. 
Wow. And she just left it there. She figured if I couldn't figure the second part out, I could get another job. (laughs) So I instilled that, that my mother put on me, I instilled that to Maddie as well, Yeah. which she embraced. So I think it keeps us in check. It's good. And it keeps a balance. And she's learning as we learn. A band, as far as the arrogance and stuff, I mean, you're only as good as your audience. You're Mm. only as good as the people who enjoy what you're doing. (laughs) So it's very, very important. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, the music industry has changed a lot. You know, I I think it's changing in a volatile way, you know, currently, like with since, you know, streaming music and all that stuff. So uh, it's it's really fascinating to watch, but uh, it's still going, still going going strong. Can you tell us about the bands that you've worked with past, present and future bands, maybe? So we can start with Maddie. Well, um, about uh, three years ago, I joined an all-girl band started by Joe Aloya called Why Joe Why, because uh, a little background behind the name. Um, We were rehearsing one day, and Joe kept telling us to play the same songs, and we were getting sick of it, and we kept saying, Why Joe Why? And um, it stuck, and that's how it all started. But um, we opened for Jack Russell's Great White. We've been on the news. We've been on all four local news stations in Oregon. And, um, yeah, it was a great experience. And um, now I'm with Audio Spectrum, and we're doing great. So Awesome. With Audio Spectrum, do you have your own music currently, or are you working on uh, original music? And we're doing... working on it, yeah. yes. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. That's exciting. And then, Ron, you've played with many professional artists over the years. I was pretty blessed. I started off about 1970. I was with a band out of Massachusetts that was discovered in Mesquamacate, Rhode Island. We are based out of Holyoke, Massachusetts. And uh, we ended up getting a, a record deal with RCA, developmental deal. And I remember when we were doing that recording, there was another local band in the area at the time a great story about the same age as us um in that band it was called ort o-r-t it's uh we got it from a crossword puzzle and it means i think something like a morsel of food or a table scrap so i mean we were trying to come up with a name we even thought of yes but then we were told no (laughs) you know so um we came up with that name we got a record deal with rca and it was another local band not too far from us a little east of us who um Signed and got a deal around the same time. I think they were on Columbia Records with our RCA. And we used to run into each other on occasion and play some of the woodsheds around that area. And they were an unknown band at the time called Aerosmith. <laughs> and we always got a kick out of them. We played some of the venues, which was funny because you'd pay, you know, $2, $3 to get into the show. And uh, I remember one, one venue we played on a regular basis was a place called The Factory. It was in New Hampshire, right over the Massachusetts line. But these people are paying, I don't know, a couple bucks for the show, and you have Aerosmith just starting off, and this band, Ort, which consisted of myself and the keyboard player of Steppenwolf, (laughs) and two other excellent musicians. So you never know how it's going to start. So that kind of got it started. I had the privilege of playing with Chuck Berry uh, on a few occasions. Yeah. And uh, ended up putting some of his bands together later on. Oh, wow. Because Chuck didn't call me and hire me. Right. Uh, Chuck always had a band waiting for him. Yeah. And I had a pretty good rapport with him. 
So consequently, I got a call from the agents to play in hopes that the show would run smoothly. <laughs> Chuck could be a taskmaster. Yeah. He wanted it right, you know. Yeah. And uh, you, you, you can't fault that. He's, uh, he's Chuck Berry. Right. <laughs> and um, I had a good rapport with him. So through that and a couple of the agents, I got to do a few shows with them over the years, even to the point where I was ended up putting the bands together, knowing what he expected, so the shows would run smoothly. Okay. Um, a defining moment, which I'll share, because I always find it entertaining. You have to go back to the early, middle 60s. And my very first show with Chuck Berry was just a real memory, because um, I came up from New York, and I was, I thought the agent was kidding with me, because I had a show in Holyoke, Massachusetts, with Chuck Berry, my first show ever at the high school football field that I graduated from. <laughs> so the local media in the city, they were all oh, about yeah. that. So I was coming back into town. I was hooked up with my parents. And it was funny because back in the day, it wasn't long before that, I was playing school dances. Yeah. And sock hops and record hops. And Chuck Berry's music was always a staple. So it was always one of those, what do you want to do now? What do you want to do? Hey, let's play something by Chuck Berry. That'll get him going. <laughs> let's play something by Chuck Berry. Always, no matter what ensemble or band I was in. So now, cutting to the chase, about 71, 72, I'm on the stage at the high school that I graduated from. The lights go down, thousands and thousands of people there. And Chuck Berry comes running out. And he ran behind the drum set. And he <laughs> bent over. And he whispered in my ear and went, quick, what do you want to start with? And I, I was blown away. I could I said, well, I don't know. I was stuttering. You know, I said, this is, this is your, your gig, you call it. So he just stopped a moment, looked at me and smiled and went, okay, let's do something by Chuck Berry. <laughs> and he ran back around the drum set and hit the stage. And of course, we started with Rollover Beethoven. Nice. And it just sat there and I was numb because for all those years, where did I have the band or guitar player saying, hey, let's do something by Chuck Berry. Here it is again, only Chuck Berry saying it to me. <laughs> and that was always a defining moment for me. I just embraced that, you know, and some of the good memories. And there are memories in the music industry that you cannot put a price tag on whatsoever. Oh, for sure. And that's certainly one of them. Yeah. Right yeah. there. So from Chuck, I worked with him, joined Steppenwolf. I started getting a pretty good name for myself. We started playing with other recording groups. And um, I remember playing with the Guess Who, yeah. uh, performing with them for about a week and a half, and Three Dog Night. Both were emergencies. Uh, we were on the road at the time, and with the Guess Who, their drummer had to go back to Canada. So rather than, uh, we were all friends, and rather than uh, bring a drummer in and all the paperwork to be involved to, to getting somebody down, maybe work visas, whatever. I mean, I was right there with them. Right. So... Um, they asked if I would do double duty. We were touring with them. So I was doing Steppenwolf and the Guess Who for about, you know, close to two weeks. That's it. So I enjoyed that. Our yeah. first show was at the El Paso Civic Center. I had about an hour rehearsal with them. And then uh, we were at the El Paso Civic Center for several thousand people. And then also another time we were at Myrtle Beach. And Three Dog Night was, we had the night off, fortunately. And Three Dog Night was performing at Myrtle Beach, a place I want to say the Aquarius. And their drummer slipped that afternoon and fell in a bathtub. Ooh. Yeah, he got hurt. He hurt his elbow. So they uh, they gave me a call. They called the agency, and the agent called and said, hey, you guys are off tonight. And uh, they came and got me in a town car. My gosh, the manager came and got me. 
And then I went over with no rehearsals, and I knocked the show off with Three Dog Night. Wow. <laughs> so it was good. And we kid about it. So they would say, you know, hey, you're going to be all right. So yeah, I've had a few years to learn the stuff. And they're all my favorite bands with favorite songs that I probably covered with one point or another. Sure. So it worked out that well. Helps. And, um, you know, I've been, uh, from touring, I've been called up on encores with the Doobie Brothers where they'll have you do some gang vocals and sing back up a little bit of percussion on their encores, which are always fun Definitely. with those guys. And Greg Allman, I used to go up and do his encores with them and finish the shows. And also John Kay and I got to play with the Charlie Daniels Volunteer Jam Band. I think it was 91, 92. We did Born to be Wild. We went out there as guests and did it because we were just coming into town. Oh, very so cool. So there's been a few, you know, there's been a few good... Uh, memories yeah. that I've had the privilege, and it is a privilege working with them, to sit in and play with them at one point or another, or at least knowing many as well. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for that. Uh, so how did it work out when you became the drummer from Steppenwolf? I mean, if you can tell our listeners the story. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have to go back to that band Ort. Okay. With the keyboard player yeah. that I was talking about, Michael Wilk. Yeah. And Michael and I started in garage bands together. My gosh, back in 68, 69. And what had happened was Mike migrated to the West Coast, and he was really making some noise out there, playing with a lot of people, doing session work. And he hooked up with Steppenwolf first back about 81. I'm going to say maybe 80, 81. This is all ballpark. Mm -hmm. you know? So uh, what had happened was uh, he had joined. He was doing the East Coast run. I went out to see him catch up, and I had the privilege of meeting John Kay in the band. And what had happened was, back about the end of 84, for whatever reasons, the drum chair became available, and um, Mike suggested me to John Kay. So John went with it, and it went from there. So I got the call at my house back in Massachusetts, came out. We thought, I love it, because we thought we'd try it about a year. you know. So let's <laughs> give it a year. So it was ongoing because... We've given it about a year, about 34 times now, 35 <laughs> okay, times. Give it a year. Yeah, yeah. give it a year. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Maddie, how did you uh, get into music? I mean, I know we've covered it a little bit, but maybe you can yeah. go into depth a little bit more. Well, um, I started musical theater at Encore Performing Arts Center with Valerie Dawn. She, she is incredible. She... Uh, really helped me and gave me the confidence that I needed to get up on stage and perform, whether it's music or theater, uh, just the arts, you know. And I started that at Encore Performing Arts Center, and I went there for years and was taking lessons with Valerie. And then from then on, I discovered music, loved it, and then it went from there. Nice. So About what age were you when you started at Encore? Oh, gosh, about Roughly. four. Four? Wow. <laughs> yeah. So you really got into musical theater early. Yes. Yeah. And uh, yes. the people that I know that get into that, like you said, Ron, they're, they're not shy. They're <laughs> 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 pretty comfortable on the stage, right? Uh, Do you yeah. think that helps you with uh, performing live in front of, you know, thousands of people? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I have a story I'll share with you about. Oh, please. Yeah. How comfortable she was. Okay. It's a classic. She was at a performance... And I'm not sure if it was dancing or whatever, but they were in sort of a horseshoe set up on the stage. Okay. And they had one microphone in front of them. And the place was, had a nice little crowd there. And uh, all the little kids were shy. They were tiny. How I don't know we were about four, like you said. Yeah. <laughs> so there were just little kids around with the microphone. And they're all standing around waiting to take direction. 
And Maddie just broke rank, <laughs> came out of the horseshoe, went up to the front of the stage and started tapping on the mic. Going, she was only a little over three feet tall, maybe four. <laughs> she's tapping on Mike, going, "Hey, is this thing on? Is this thing on?" And she's tapping it. So she tore the house down. I mean, yeah, everyone just yeah. it broke everybody up. And as she's walking back, I could see everybody just the parents getting the, and they're looking at me to see my response. Also thinking, well, obviously the apple didn't fall too far from the tree here. <laughs> exactly. So that's a great story because she's always comfortable with yeah. that. Yeah. Let's start with you, Ron. Um, do you feel like the place and time that you grew up affected the way that you learned music and got into it? For me, absolutely. Absolutely. Which really helped me as far as my diversity, especially on teaching, because I studied with uh, one of the greatest teachers that was around in the performance arena. He wasn't a household word, but in the teaching arena, he was a giant. His name was Joe Sefcik, and his first, one of his first most famous students was Joe Morello. And uh, he brought Joe Morello as far along as he could until he sent him to George Stone, who wrote the Stick Control book. So Jeff's, uh, Joe Sefcik had quite a reputation for turning out good drummers. And he was a taskmaster. Okay. Uh, I won't say quite whiplash, but he was, <laughs> Ooh. he didn't throw any chairs at me. Okay, well, that's but, good. But uh, he was a taskmaster. Yeah. And he was a disciplinarian. And I, embraced it he couldn't wash me out and he would wash people out and uh, what had happened was he didn't want anyone to waste anyone's his time sure or your time so i remember times where he'd have students coming out and in tears and crying you know so he was a he was a wonderful teacher and i remember going to him first to sign up for drum lessons and he looked straight at me i was with my mom i was just about 12 and he said well here's the deal if you want to learn drums, I'll teach you. If you want to learn rock and roll, go teach yourself. And when you think about that, and I did an article in a not-so-modern drum magazine a couple years back, and it was an online article, I think, but I talked about it. It was an article about growing up in the shadows of Joe Morello. And I mean, I don't know it was in the water back there in Massachusetts, but there were legends. Hal Blaine, he was from Hoyoke, Massachusetts. Population 43,000. Talk about coming up and what a shadow that man cast. But that said, rock and roll at the time, around 62 when I started, it was allegedly a fad. It was a trend. It was going to go away. Sure. So Joe Sefcik, being very, very traditional, taught me jazz. Mm -hmm. He got me into the jazz and the swing. Needless to say, with the British Invasion and all the other stuff started coming, rock and roll as Danny and the Junior sang, Rock and roll is here to stay. Yeah. You know? But yeah, that was in, in the middle 60s where we, it wasn't going away. So I really cut my teeth being very diversified on jazz and swing. I started off as, and through the school programs, I was playing concert and um, orchestral stuff. So at a young age, he sort of got my, my teeth, you know, and sunk my teeth into all of those. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So um, definitely the time and yeah. the place. And, you know, needless to say, I think Tony Williams, the late and great Tony Williams said it best. He said, learn jazz, learn swing. You don't have to go running out and join a jazz band if you want to. It will simply make you a better drummer. Mm -hmm. The end, no matter what genre of music you're playing, by learning how to play jazz and swing. And I'm also going to throw into the mix Afro-Latin, yeah. Afro-Cuban, mm -hmm. that the real syncopated stuff. 
It will simply make you a better drummer. So that was the time, those were the times that I was coming up in. Okay. So by the time I was playing rock and roll because it was fun, I already had a pretty good foundation with the other stuff, as well as teaching. Yeah. You know? uh, yeah, yeah, that makes you better. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. And Maddie, do you feel like the time and place that you grew up affected how you learned music? Oh, yeah, yeah. definitely. Definitely. I've If it wasn't for Oregon and, you know, the the time, yet again, I wouldn't have met the people that helped me grow and everything, you know, from Valerie, Dawn to Encore, Linda, Camp Amp, you know, I, I wouldn't be where I am now, so... Yeah, I, I think it, it does affect us all, you know. So, Ron, what mentors and influences did you have along the way? I, you mentioned uh, your drum teacher there. Um, I was very, very blessed, very fortunate with, you know, meeting some of the finest teachers I had studied. Joe Sefcik, once again, I mentioned him. He was definitely a mentor to me, but primarily some of my teachers, you know, yeah. that I had the privilege of studying with. I mean, I intended some drum workshops up the University of Massachusetts back in 72, 73 with Max Roach, uh, Alan Dawson down in Lexington. He started teaching out of his house. Ed Sof, who's, uh, as far as I know, he's in University of North Texas right now. And just, just, it goes on, but the great, great drummers, it's humbling. And also one of my last teachers that I absolutely love, who rocked, the late and great Mark Craney out of L.A. I studied with him out of his house. And I first saw him playing with Jethro Tull wow. <laughs> on uh, Midnight Special. And uh, when I got to L.A., I looked him up, started studying with him. But I remember him sitting down with the, that full double bass drum set doing uh, Aqualung by Jethro Tull. And I went, <laughs> holy smoke. You know? But Mark was a phenomenal drummer, and it was a privilege to have studied with him a bit. Definitely. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And Maddie, what uh, mentors and influences have you had over the years? Oh, um, I guess you've mentioned a few of them, but you can go yes, over. Yes, um, I'm gonna go celebrities here. There you uh, go. Robin Zander of Cheap Trick. Okay. Um, Lindsey Buckingham. Yeah. Um, those two right there have really inspired me to dig deep into the musical end of things, you know, and um, they really watching them and listening to them it's really helped me improve you know mm -hmm. and um of course the beatles i mean who yeah yeah those those two in particular really helped me improve for sure awesome in your opinion ron what are some of the best ways someone can learn the skills that you've cultivated the best way i think definitely studying and taking lessons to a degree you can get to a certain level by emulating people or watching them. Of course, these days you do have online, you have you know YouTube and the way you could learn stuff, but there's nothing like doing a one-on-one, -on -one, I think with an instructor who could sit there and really work with you and be repetitive and really, you know, from, from your technique, whether it be your hand technique or give you various exercises. And they'll bring what you, a good teacher will bring your skills to you, you won't have to sort of ferret it out and see what might work for you. If you have, and there's there's a lot of good teachers around too. Yeah. And uh, a good teacher will look at every individual that comes in as an individual lesson. 
Yeah. You don't want to do the cookie cutter stuff, no. you know, because everyone comes in with different skill levels and things like that. Well, I've heard that said about parenting in the past. It's like every every child gets a different parent, even if they have the same parents sure. as their siblings. And every every student gets a different teacher. And when you when you standardize things or cookie cutter it, like you were saying, it's uh, it's hard to make that work for everybody. <laughs> it is. It yeah. Is. Um, bottom line, keep it fun. Keep it fun. You keep productive. You want to move forward. You want to take the practicing and the stuff seriously. But you still, I tell all my students, we got to keep this fun. And I mean, I've been drumming. I kid with my students. Anyone hearing this, they would know the line. But I say, you know, I've been drumming since Jurassic Park. And they'll say, oh, the 90s? No, not the movie. The real one. You know, I'm talking pterodactyls <laughs> flying over my head, you know. And uh, the reason I've been drumming that long is it's been fun. I've had yeah. a great time. It's been a wonderful life. It's been and uh, very rewarding, and it's something I like to share and impart, and that comes out in my teaching as well. That shows. That's good. And Maddie, what are some of the best ways people can learn the skills that you've cultivated? Maybe you can also talk about performing, because I know some people have a very hard time with that. You know. Well, yeah. Yet again, it, my dad nailed it. You know, find find a teacher that you click with. And, um, you know, you have to have a good work ethic, too, you know. Mm -hmm. As they say, you can't have a million-dollar dream with a minimum wage work ethic. You know, you (laughs) got to, yeah, yeah, you got to study and find a teacher that you connect with. And that's pretty much. Keep it fun. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Do what you love. Love what you do. Nice. How has technology changed music and the creative arts in general? It's a large spectrum. covers a lot of things. It does. Um, it's, it's wonderful in the sense of um, music and recording studios and the technology and how clean the sound is these days. I wasn't applauding the technology back in the 80s when drum machines came in. <laughs> I know... Uh, <laughs> that, was, that was the bane of my existence. You get a little nervous we had, to, we had to learn to work with them, and that was some technology, uh, even to the point where uh, they started creating real feel on the drum machine. Well, at that point, I, you might want to get a real guy to do it. Right. So, I mean, there's some technology, but in the recording and Pro Tools, in all the recording, uh, the clean recording sounds, that works out very, very well. Yeah. And uh, so as far as the sound and the music, I think definitely the technology. And even in recording um, where with the Pro Tools, where I just did a project with, uh, I gave them a track in Europe. There was a, a band or recording project in Europe. And the Pro Tools, you know, they just fly this stuff over to you. You don't have to go over there and you can lay your tracks down and they've got it over there. So, I mean, there's definitely a plus for that in that end. Yeah. Yet again, technology could work with you. I'm sure that downloading songs uh, if you're a songwriter uh, and some of that technology cuts into your royalties <laughs> that could work yeah that's you i too. shouldn't be laughing now that it that hurts no, a lot of no. people but so, it's i mean at this point it's i guess just a couple of those examples i said there's good and it could be good and it could be bad yeah. work against you but i'm sort of an analog guy yeah or not oh yeah know? and uh i'm pretty old school and I stay with it, and um, so I sort of embrace the old stuff. Well, there's a beautiful warmth to the analog, you know, the tape saturation and uh, that, that type of recording. Uh, yeah. You know, if you think of, like, Bing Crosby's voice versus, uh, you know, 
Chris Cornell's voice or something like that. There's, you know, they're both beautiful in their own way, but, uh, you know, Bing Crosby, that there, there's, you just don't hear that warmth anywhere on any recording anymore. That's a good analogy. Yeah. Very good. That's right. Is there a song, album, or artist you would recommend people listen to? Well, I would highly recommend the White Album. Nice. Uh, I would, well, it depends what genre of music. Okay. Um, Name for for uh, I would say just off the top of my head, for jazz or swing, people who want to shake hands, I've always liked the Time Out album with Dave Brubeck. Yeah. And of course Morello, but it was just a real good introduction to real jazz and working with Odd Times. And I've often recommended that to my students to let them know. And of course the tie-in is the guy that taught Morello taught me. So I suppose if you're dealing with that concept of a separation of six, mm-hmm. we're down to about two. You know? <laughs> I'm sort of the liaison between nice, the two. Nice, nice. So I recommend that. And then Paul uh, as Desmond. Far, as far as, I mean, rock, he's timeless. I said, but John Bonham. I mean, John Bonham was, was just a phenomenal guy with the sound he made. Um, yet again, if you want to get a little bit of fusion with it, go after Mitch Mitchell from Hendrix. Okay. Now you can see what... A uh, heavy guy did using jazz chops, you know. Uh-huh. So um, there, cool. there's a few. Yeah, know? yeah. And uh, like I said, I, a lot of it depends on if we're talking about a specific genre. I'll probably recommend an album that someone might want to hear. Yeah. To show what about them. for funk or soul? Pardon me. Funk or soul music? Funk or soul? Yeah. Uh, as far as funk or soul. Uh, I say funk. You could go with uh, Tower of Power. Yeah. I mean, that's great. Or Average White Band. Yeah. Some of the Average White Band stuff. That was funky, you know. And Soul, my gosh, anything out of the Motown. Okay. You know, um, just just great, great stuff. Uh, James Brown. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You got Clyde Stubblefield, Jabo Starks, you know, and those guys. And they were groove merchants, you know. And... uh, yeah, that, that's a couple of the stuff there. So I'm not sure an album per se. I'm not sure, but an artist, mm-hmm. I might go after a specific artist and look up some of their earlier stuff. Okay, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, that might be it. That's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. Ron, is creativity or skill more important as an artist? Huh. I think they're both very important, but I'm going to say creativity for this okay because if you have a great deal of skill that's obvious and if you have a good deal of skill you can emulate a lot of your heroes but if you emulate a lot of your heroes well you're going to grab their chops or cop their chops no matter what instrument you're playing and that's what you're going to do you're kind of at a limit and you kind of have to wait to see what that artist is going to do before you go next wow okay um, if you're creative, then the sky's the limit. You could take those skills and then you could go yet again, where no man's gone before, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, that was the whole thing with the Beatles. Or oh, any yeah. Of these other iconic groups that made it. Um, it was the creative. Yeah, they had the, they had the, the ability and the talent, but it was a creative part too. Yeah. So I'm kind of going to lean toward... To get it, get, bring it farther along, you need the creativity, but you still want to hold your talent. Okay. You know, master, master your skills in that. Yeah, that's a good answer. 
Maddie? Um, I'm going to say both because, you know, creativity and skill are both very, very important factors, you know. You can have all the creativity, you know, in your mind, but if you suck, what's the point, you know? So (laughs) I I think both are very important. Both good answers. So what are some difficult times that you faced as an artist? Um, Most of the difficult times I would face as an artist were at the beginning. Mm Mm-hmm legitimizing yourself, being taken seriously, learning to cook hamburger helper six different ways, (laughs) and being in that band house, you know, and just digging in. At that point, you have to, you're you're driven by the love of wanting to achieve it. You're driven by the love of the music. And um, you get some, you get some pretty lean times when you're starting to get off. Mm -hmm. So um, I think, I think that is, I think the earlier part when anyone's starting off, you have to almost count on the love for it. And it could be pretty lean times. I think that could be very, very difficult. Yeah. Very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I'm going to throw out that the road, even there down the road, if you do acquire some success, you have to, there's a lot of dangers on the road. Yeah. And you have to avoid some of the trappings. Uh, you have to, in, Avoid, avoid a lot of the overindulgence uh, without going into a lot of detail. There's a lot of artists that I knew and respected that aren't here anymore. Right. That should be. Yeah. So there are dangers you need to be aware of, you know, and they're all around you. Uh, do you feel like the reason for those artists not being here anymore uh-huh. is, is the road, like being on the road itself, or is it the fame or well, is it the expectations of the audience they want them to live up to this sort of godlike standard that they've Well, a lot of it I think is I suppose it comes down to the individual. Sure. Some handle it better and keep it in perspective. Yeah. I think it comes back down to the person. Um I've seen in the industry where people just go nuts cuz they think that's what they're supposed to do. They're out there. They're in there. And overindulgence could be a real rough a, a real rough thing to deal with. A lot of it when you're young and inexperienced, it might fall under the category of entitlement. Yeah. You know, I've seen that. I've seen it where you're out on the road and we've played for tens of thousands of people. We play for, we played arenas, the, the best venues around, you know, Mile High Stadium, Red Rocks. I mean, yeah. we played amazing shows, tens of tens of thousands of people. And at that point, you're sort of overwhelmed with it, but it's sort of an entitlement where you might think in your younger, well, this is I'm here, I'm with this band, I'm at this venue, and here they are, of course, you know. So that's that, God bless that youth, you know, and you have that. But then I find you cross that line, you go over, and all of a sudden, if you're still there and you're still standing, that entitlement switches over to appreciation. Then when you're getting older, and they're coming out to see you. We have a saying, and we're saying, God, stop making 50-year-old rock and roll stars. You know? <laughs> I mean, if you had your window and you had it then and you've got running, you've got enough going on where you can keep it going, mm-hmm. um, that's a good thing. But all of a sudden, I've seen the shift from entitlement to appreciation. Or, wow, we're getting older. Uh, we're still doing this. Look at the people who are coming out to see us. 
wow, that's cool. They're getting older. And we have the kids coming to see us and their grandkids coming to see us along with them. And in no small way, a lot of that is born to be wild because that song itself is self-perpetuating. Every generation can relate to that song. Oh, for sure. It's iconic. So all of us, and I'm speaking on sure on behalf of the entire Steppenwolf organization, we have a lot of gratitude to people who will come out and see us to this day. And we, we appreciate it. So I see the changes in that, you know, and you can see that um, a lot of times, uh, like I said, the term I'll use is if you're out there whipping the ponies a little too hard, you better get yourself in check if you're going to go for your longevity. Yeah. Just my, just from, these are my observations only and what I've seen. Um, Maddie? He nailed it. He nailed it. it. (laughs) All right. All right. Next question then. So how have you learned to overcome adversity? Overcome adversity. Yes, sir. In reference to your music? In in general, in life. In life. In life. Something is uh, Um, trying to get in your way. I've overcome adversity by sort of prioritizing things that I like and things that appeal to me that I enjoy. Yeah. And not wanting to... To please everybody else. <laughs> that's a that's a big lesson to learn. That is. Yeah. And once again, Rick Nelson sang it. You can't please everyone, so you got to please yourself. Yeah. And that, you know, in Garden Party. I mean, that that's a classic song to the answer. That's the classic answer to what you asked. <laughs> and um, that is, if you could start that younger, you know, why are you doing it? You're doing it because I love it. Are you doing it out of love or are you doing it because someone expects you to do it? Or they expect this? And that could... That could translate to off the stage as well. Yeah. You know, in any any facet of your clothes you wear, what yeah. you're driving, what you eat, you know. So I I think that's my way of overcoming it. You know, yeah. I kind of on since we're talking about music in some way, I kind of played uh, a lot of music and listened, not even played, but listened to it, a lot of music I enjoy. And I would go after that. And there'll always be someone likes it, but if someone doesn't like it, oh well. Hey, that's what makes the world go round. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you you just do you. You know, don't don't try to please people, because um, if you're not doing what you love, you know, it's it's not going to be enjoyable. You're gonna be you're gonna go your whole life being miserable. Mm-hmm. And um, I think sticking to who you are and what you love is very, very important. And that is the key to happiness for sure. Wow. Very wise words. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> All right. Hey, Ron, uh, can you tell us about playing in Germany, the one year anniversary of the wall coming down? Oh yeah. 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 What an incredible story. It was uh, boy. I don't think there was a dry eye on stage or off stage. Um, we played that, uh, we were at the Brandenburg Gate and the wall came down and we were over there and the crowd, the enthusiasm, it was just magical. For so many years, I mean, the, to perform and have those people there that really at one point they were suppressed even with the rock and roll music. They couldn't hear rock and roll music. They had to smuggle it in. You know, it was a communist country. Yeah. And to just be liberated with that wall coming down. Matter of fact, I still have a little piece of one. Nice. But um, from the trip. But um, that aside, uh, that was one of those moments where the people were just so overwhelmed. It's really hard to put into words what we felt because it was in the air. There was an energy in the air. 
and the enthusiasm and just the freedom of those people coming to see us perform. And b- believe me, we fed off that. And it was oh, yeah. one of our finest shows. Oh, I believe it. You know, it was just, just incredible. Yeah. Freedom. You so, know? so John Kay was, uh, was born there, right? On, in, he in was born. Yes, Prussia, he did. Eastern Germany, but it became part of Russia, right? Yes, he did. He was, I think, in Prussia. I Prussia, think it was. Yeah. And um, his family escaped. And uh, I don't, some didn't make it. And he got over to the West, West Berlin, I guess, West side of Germany. And then when he, I think he was about 13 or so, he migrated to Toronto. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, his, John, John's, a, well, he's got a book, you know, Magic Carpet Ride. But uh, he is a book and what a success story he was. Yeah. But yeah, he, John did deal with that. Matter of fact, we played many shows in Germany the United Germany as well. Mm-hmm. And it's just great to go over with John because, you know, I mean, he's a hero over there. You yeah. Know, the guys are a rock star who left and escaped over there and comes back, you mm-hmm. know. And uh, that in itself is a storyline. But um, we've gone over there and got to share and see that with him in the audience and the response. It's pretty overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty overwhelming. It's incredible. I think a lot of people struggle with fame. You know, we've uh, mentioned oh, yeah. rock stars that have fallen. You know, we've we've seen people that aren't aren't with us anymore that should be maybe. Mm. Um, how can people avoid that? Well, you know, a lot of it. Some people are just hardwired with their personality. Yeah. You know, some people are mellow. Some are humble. Some there's some people. It's hard to say. They might be arrogant. Yeah. And they may always be arrogant. And no matter what their job may be. Um, Pick one. Pick pick a regular day job. There might be a certain amount of arrogance involved. It's very dangerous if you come into this game with that, because that all that fame and fortune or whatever is perceived to have, that could become a vehicle or a tool for somebody that's already that way coming into it. Yeah. And there, right away, it can be a. a a bad recipe for overindulgence, Mm -hmm. you know? I found that, um, you know, it's funny. uh, The people in the industry I met, I met some of the nicest people you can meet. I really have. And uh, maybe they're at peace with the level they've gotten to. Okay. You know? Yeah. Um, I have run into, this is funny, and no one in particular, but in my travels, and I'm not particularly saying Portland, but different places I've lived, you know. I've met great people, first of all, all around. But I have found some egos and attitudes that we've come across, uh, say around the country, even well-known regional bands that would open shows for us at times. And this isn't everybody, just on occasion. But those were, we'd see the egos or the attitudes. Interesting, yeah. You get that, and I call it that, don't you know who I think I am? <laughs> yeah. Attitude. You know, you get that. Yeah. And we're going, what the heck? You know, and yet we're co-headlining with these major acts I've heard of. And they're the nicest guys you can meet. They'd be sitting down talking like we are. <laughs> Nothing to prove, just enjoying what they're doing. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's hard to tell. Okay. As far as that, you're playing Russian roulette, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, Maddie, what are some moments that made you feel joy and gratitude in your life? with music hmm well um you know some of the gigs i've mentioned you know we played the rose festival 
Um, um, opening for Jack Russell's Great White was really incredible. And um, being on the news, that was great. And um, meeting Lindsay Buckingham was absolutely incredible, you know, cool. meeting, meeting your idol and, you know, telling him how much you appreciate him and his music, you know, and yeah. how he inspired you. And um, uh, singing with Mickey Dolenz, I did a duet with him nice. in Ontario. That yeah. that was pretty cool, I'd say. <laughs> and That's um, very cool. Yes, I'm very, I feel very blessed to have experienced those moments. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. All right, Ron, what are some moments that have given you great joy and gratitude in your life? Maddie. Yeah. <laughs> I can see that. About sums it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. And then, Ron, what are one or two memorable stories from your music career that we haven't covered yet? A couple of great memories I have from two guys that I just absolutely love that aren't here anymore were uh, Greg Allman and Stevie Ray Vaughan. Oh, wow. And I had the privilege of meeting Stevie down in Texas, and we did shows together. Got to know him when I was living down there a while. And got to know him on a one-on-one where I'd be a guest at his shows. Then we ended up playing shows together as well. Uh, 88, we went out with Greg Allman. He had the No Angels. I'm No Angels. I think it was in 87. So we went out with Greg Allman on the No Angels tour, Steppenwolf. So he had I'm No Angel and Born to be Wild. Boy, that was a decadent tour. Yeah. And some of my greatest, I mean, stories and laughs were with Greg Allman. They're just fun. It could be a book, but it was funny. They were hysterical. But uh, one of a couple of those shows we did, Stevie Ray, we were on the bill with Stevie. And I remember one particular time, a couple different times in memories. A lot of it's just sitting on, like we were sitting, Greg and I were sitting on Stevie's bus. It's just the three of us. So Stevie Ray's back there with me and Greg Allman. And we're just talking about, before the show goes on, we're just chilling in the back of the lounge of Stevie's bus. And I remember my mind kept going, how did I get here? What, when I'm <laughs> right, sitting yeah. here with these two icons What was going, the journey? <laughs> what the heck? You know, this this is just great. And I kind of went through that, believe it or not, with Willie Nelson, too. Okay. Uh, hanging with him. We did the Farmaids, a couple of the Farmaids, Farmaid 2, Farmaid 3. But um, actually getting to know some of the uh, band members and Willie himself from Willie's family. And uh, hanging out with him on the back of his tour bus. He's an incredible guitar player, too. People oh, don't yes. realize, but he's like a Django, uh, Reinhardt type, like gypsy jazz, you know, influenced guitar player. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Super, like, it's very difficult to figure out his guitar solos and stuff like that. Because <laughs> it's just like, where is he going with this? And why does it work? It's oh, amazing. Yeah. Well, he's such a piece of Americana. Yeah, he really I is. I mean, you could say, you know, baseball. Apple pie, but you got to say Willie Nelson. <laughs> yeah, he's got to be in there. <laughs> oh, that's great. Those are good stories. Advice? Advice for people who are who would like to do what you're doing. Um, yeah, I think, once again, if you want to get into this stuff, just practice. Keep it fun. Strike that balance. Um, watch what's going on around you. Learn ask questions and watch and uh 
I think that's a darn good start. That's a good foundation good. to go from there. Also, if you have any great aspirations and you have a product like your sound, um, you may have to go to where it is. Mm. You know, if you are in, uh, oh boy, pick any small town or city, you might have to go to where the action is. Portland has quite a good music scene. Yeah, I, I just think you've had a lot of bands back when I was starting off, all the way back from the Kingsmen and Paul Revere and the Raiders who yeah. are coming out of here. Not to mention other groups who have come along that are still doing it up to right now. So it has a pretty good music scene. So anyone who's trying to do anything musically around here, you know, they're pretty close. But you have L.A. right down the road. But, you know, you might have to do that migration like we did back in Massachusetts. We went to Boston, but we ended up going to New York City. Okay. Or you have to go to L.A. Now you can go to Nashville or Austin, Texas. I mean, there's some real good pockets yeah. of of music where people are making it, you know. And if you really believe in it, it's worth a try when you're young because you can't win if you don't play. You know, you got to get on that merry-go-round if you're going to grab the brass ring. Yeah. <laughs> and you know there's nothing wrong with not being able to get it if you tried. I think it's more wrong being older and saying this than when you get older, looking back on your life, thinking, gee, I wished I did. I wish I tried. Mm -hmm. What could have happened if? You don't want to get older doing that. Right. So if you're young, you believe in yourself, take the shot. I like that. He covered it all. He nailed it. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so, Ron, how do you support Maddie? And how do you feel parents should support their kids in the arts? I think by supporting her, actually support what she wants to do. First of all, conversation. Yeah. Talk to your child. See what they want to do. Watch your child. See what they lean toward. It could be sports. It could be the arts. It could be anything. And have conversations so you get to know what their interests are. Mm -hmm. And if they're showing... Uh, signs of really going after it, then, you know, steer them. Steer them. Don't push them. I, I don't believe in pushing any child uh, as far as the arts go or sports. I mean, you might have to put a candle under them a little bit to get their homework done, you know, sure, that sort sure. of thing. You know, you don't want to be lackadaisical. But as far as going after a goal at a young age, um, talk to them. Set an example for them, Yeah. you know, even if you don't do what they're aspiring to do, you can set an example to your child as far as your work ethic, as far as the way you conduct yourself with people. And that, that looms large because children are influenced yes. by their parents. Yeah. That's my take on that. Well said. Maddie, do you feel, so your mom, Angela, mm -hmm. is booking your band. Yes. And so... Your parents are very supportive. Yes. Do you see this? And then do you see how other people are not doing it maybe as well as you are? Ab um, absolutely. And yeah. I feel very, very fortunate to have such a great support group. Yeah. You know, my parents, my family, I feel very, very fortunate. And, of course, I love them all to death. Yeah. And um, I'm very blessed. That's great. What do you see happening over the next few years with your music career? I know that hmm. uh, there's some talk of maybe recording. Is yes. That, yeah? Yes, recording for sure. Playing more dates, more gigs. I would love that for sure. I can see myself improving 
musically, of course, and my knowledge of music improving and growing. And um, yeah, that's pretty much that's good. what I can think of. Yeah. And then Ron, what do you see happening over the next few years for your music career? And For my music? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to relax. Yeah, you're going to relax? I'm going to relax. You know? You've been the, there, done that? Yeah, yeah. It's... Uh, <laughs> Once again, I, I embrace the teaching end of it. Yeah. You know, we're not touring right now. And uh, right now we've sort of parked the wolf wagon okay. at the moment. And uh, it's strictly John Kay's call. Yeah. But I've had a great run. But in the meantime, I'm still embracing the art of playing drums. Yeah, definitely. So I enjoy the teaching end. And basically watching Maddie, you know, go forward and see what she wants to do and how she wants to do it yeah i think that's so cool yeah Yeah. all right so i'm gonna do some rapid fire questions if you got an answer great if not we can skip it Mm -hmm. so maddie what's your favorite movie uh that thing you do or bohemian rhapsody nice good movies ron favorite movie. lonesome dove all right uh ron favorite album uh abbey road maddie the white album nice favorite song um, come on, come on by Cheap Trick. Born to be wild. <laughs> uh, Maddie, best performance you've done so far? Hmm. Um, I have a couple. Uh, the, the most, my most recent gig at the Rose Festival and, um, opening for Jack Russell's Great White. Nice. Uh, Ron? Any performance I've done where they scream for an encore. <laughs> <laughs> that makes a difference. <laughs> it does. Yeah. Uh, all right. Best drum recordings, in your opinion, Maddie? Ooh, I don't really know. I can't okay, answer that right. one. Yeah. Ron? Drum recording? Yeah. I'm going to go with uh, Time Out, Take 5. Dave Take Rubeck. 5? Oh, yeah. So good. I love th- that saxophone is my oh, favorite yeah. sounding saxophone on the planet. <laughs> I don't know how he made it sound so buttery and soft. Usually it's so, sh- you know, it's kind of tinny and shrill. Man. Yeah, that's good stuff. All right, what's your take on when the levy breaks, the drums on that? Led Zeppelin? Iconic. It's yeah. just it's just great. John, to me, John Bonham personified, personified, absolutely being able to play enough to make a sound, but yet let it breathe. Okay. You know, play a groove. And the guy was a groove merchant, but he always left enough air into into his songs where he could do Moby Dick, he could do all these insane things, but yet um, he'd, he'd play and, and let the stuff just breathe, just lay on it with his sound. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what was it? The, uh, I, I mentioned this for my students to let, let it breathe. One of the most um, best examples of that with the Bonham song was, uh, was it Dire Maker? Okay. I hope I'm saying it right. But I, yeah, Maker. I think so, yeah. 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 Uh, Check that out on the drums and just watch it breathe. And there's a guy playing it or Fool in the Rain where he's got that halftime groove, you know. And I remember when Zeppelin first came out, talking about raising the benchmark, we were already out on tour with this other band, Ort, yet okay. again. And my roadie came in and he said, you got to hear this. And I said, what? And he put out the first Zeppelin album. And the first thing I ever heard was Good Times, Bad Times. And he said, you got to hear these guys. I went, holy smoke. And they put on Good Times, Bad Times. I remember sitting there at the moment, yet again, a defining moment, going, listen to the feet on that guy. And he went, no, Ron, foot. 
I said the foot. Because <laughs> so, that double kick? It's, yeah. It's that one yeah, foot? Yeah, 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 yeah. He was throwing yeah. those 60 kicks. And all of a sudden, oh, okay, so there goes the benchmark. So, yeah, that, a couple of those songs, and, of course, when the levee breaks. Yeah. Yeah, they're definitely um, songs to listen to. Okay. So what you both mentioned Beatles albums as favorites. What mm-hmm. is it about the White Album or Abbey Road that you that you love? And then can you mention each, you know, each element of the Beatles in that? Ooh. I know. Uh, it's tough. You know, the White Album just has so many different styles it really does. <laughs> in one, yeah, you know, yeah. and it's great. It's great variety. Yeah. Um, I feel like it's something that everyone can listen to, you know, and, um, you know, the Beatles, absolutely timeless, you know, um, they started things that people have never done before. They took risks, which is very important to do as an artist. And, um, you know, they've done things that have never been done before. And, um, yeah, it's... They they were the first, you know. It's magical, you know. They're absolutely timeless. Cool. Absolutely. Thank you. Huh? I liked Abbey Road because, once again, tying back into a question you asked earlier, yeah, they had the talent and they had shots, but it was the creative aspect. Yeah. And, of course, where do you go? They always had, uh, like, after Sgt. Pepper. Well, where are you going to go from there? And they did. <laughs> right. And they always took it. And yet again... Uh, back when it came out, there was a sense in the air that it was coming to an end. Sure. That they were they were wrapping it up then, and uh, you know taking uh, was it, taking parts of songs and just tying them together, unfinished songs that they mm-hmm. were just looping through, and there was just a lot of that. So a lot of it was just uh, I guess getting a little melancholy with it, but I just really really once again what a way to go out, you know. Yeah with that album and there's there's others but like i said uh, as far as the rapid fire question that was the one that yeah came that to mind. came to mind yeah. got it all right that's good what is a top vacation spot that you both think that you have loved taking a vacation there hmm. could even be home <laughs> a lot of people do that these days well i i think the states the united states yeah I, I think this country is beautiful it has so much to offer and in my world travels I, we have a lot of friends and fans around the world who will, on holiday, they'll come to the States. You know, uh, a lot of friends in Europe, the winters could be pretty rough and wet over there, and a lot of them will come to Florida. But, I mean, for all my travels, I just love the good old USA. I mean, I I love the rolling hills of New England mm-hmm. and the vast plain states. Has lots of, And then you start hitting... You know, the the Rockies, and you start going over the Rockies, you have the oceans, and not only that, even it, even the vibe from the Atlantic Ocean versus the Pacific, both coasts are a little bit different, sure. you know, you get yeah. that. So, I mean, this particular country just has, for vacation, it has a whole lot to offer, yeah. you know? And I've seen it, and I've, I've been, like I said, we've been to, I've been to Asia, Europe, North America, South America many times. But as uh, for vacation spots, uh, I just I just love my own backyard. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's good. Yeah, I agree. Uh, any bucket list destinations in the world that you haven't been? Liverpool. Liverpool. Yeah. No. 
No? Okay. No. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Hopefully one day I'll be able to say that. <laughs> I would like to go to Liverpool, too. I have never been there. Yeah. Um, do you have a favorite time of year? Uh, summer okay. and uh, Christmas time. I love Christmas time. Nice. I like the fall. Yeah. Love the fall. Probably come from New England being born and raised out there. Oh, it's but I love the foliage and yeah. the apple cider and the pumpkins and oh, yeah, the chill too. in the air. I, I like that. Yeah. I do too. How important do you feel music and the arts are to society? Very, very important. You know, some people actually do it for the love of it and some listen to it and it makes their day better. It really has an impact on people, you know. Music, you know, there are songs out there, you know, no matter what you're going through, you can relate to that, you know, and it tells you, it lets you know that you're not alone in whatever you're going through. And um, sometimes music just makes you happy, you know. There's a certain style you like or, you know... there's a song that comes on and it's like, yeah, you know, that that's it's you got that one song, you know, or artist or album or whatever, you know. And yeah, music is very important. It definitely makes the world go round. Nice. I think it's very important. Uh, you could see it primarily yet again, being a product of the 60s. Mm-hmm. Uh, music is always going to be around. It's an expression, how people feel. They can relate to it. They could put it out there. It could be anything from social to personal. Back in the 60s, uh, it's not uncommon for many people who think that the music was one of the vehicles to help end the Vietnam War, where people, the country was so divided, people taken to the streets. And um, those were tough times. But the music played a monumental role in people speaking their minds and saying what they said. So... I think that back then, all the way up to these days, you know, um, even rap, mm-hmm. where when rap first came in, it was a way to express what people were feeling and mm-hmm. saying and how they were feeling and putting it out there to people that weren't feeling that way, you know, expressing themselves from letting letting people who weren't in the inner cities know what was going on in the inner cities yeah. and people who were angry or whatever. Or even, oh my gosh, you could even come down to a love song on a personal level, you know? Mm-hmm. So music, yes, it's absolutely vital. And it's just paramount as far as a tool for people expressing themselves, whether it be on a personal level or a social level. Yeah. I love that. What skills are important for every person to learn? What skills? Yeah. People skills. Mm-hmm. I think people need to learn to be more respectful of each other. I think kindness plays big. And once again, if you are in music, you want to have your people's skills intact for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But um, discipline, education, you got to throw education in yeah. because it's important. But uh, I think as far as basic skills right now, it's getting along with each other and just respecting other people for who they are, what they feel, what they're all about. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah, definitely um, happiness. Um, that'll just, it'll make you a better person, you know, and work ethic. Bands or artists that you've enjoyed working with? Um, 
Yet again, Jack Russell, okay. um, Mickey Dolenz. He's he's great to work with. Absolutely yeah. wonderful to work with. Seems like he'd be a fun um, fun guy. Yeah. 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 The monkeys always looked like they were having fun right, for me. Oh, boy. Well, Greg Allman, yeah. Stevie Ray Vaughan, Peter Frampton, uh, Doobie Brothers, Blue Oyster Cult, Foghat, and I know I'm leaving a whole bunch out. <laughs> but, uh, those are some that have just been uh, great, great shows. Yeah. So where can people find you online and learn what you're up to? And uh, if they want to get in for some drum lessons or want to come see your band play or anything like that. Well, you can like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram. Just type in Audio Spectrum and you will find us. And um, you can follow me on Instagram at mlhurst6. You can follow me on that and see what I'm up to. So Great. And then Ron? Steppenwolf.com. All right. That's basically where people get a hold of me or at Mere Music. You know, yeah. for lessons, yeah. primarily for lessons, if people want to inquire about that or teaching, that would be the place to, to reach me at. Great. So either Mirror Music or Steppenwolf.com. Excellent. I'll put links to all that in the show notes, and okay. then uh, folks can find you guys online. Thank you. And I just want to say to both of you, thank you so much for taking the time. Well, thank and you. Telling you, us Dan. more about your stories. and uh, It was about... a pleasure chatting with you. Thank well, you very much. Likewise. Thank you, Maddie. And thank you, Ron. Thank you, Danny. Are it was there, a pleasure. Also, and I forgot this question, are there any questions I should have asked you that I didn't? Um, no. No, you've been very thorough. Okay. <laughs> very thorough. All thank right. You. Well, thank Thanks. you both so much. And, thank uh, you very much. Great success and fun times ahead. Mm-hmm. All right, thank thanks. you. Back at you. Find out more at artmedianorthwest.com. A-R-T-M-E-D-I-A-N-W dot com. Mm-hmm.